We believe that equity and inclusion are fundamental pillars of a safe and strong community. As we witness immediate and systemic violence against black communities in the United States, we are reminded that black and indigenous communities in Canada face similar oppression. We recognize our responsibility to act in dismantling systems of violence and injustice. As we stand in solidarity with our black and indigenous neighbors, we encourage everyone to listen to their stories. We will continue using our platforms to amplify unrepresented voices in our community and to support organizations that are working to combat racism and inequity. Welcome to a special episode of the Well Endowed Podcast. That was Edmonton Community Foundation CEO Martin Garber Conrad delivering our statement in response to the Black Lives Matters rally in Edmonton on June 5th, 2020. It's been 71 days since more than 10,000 people gathered at the Alberta legislature to rally in support of local Black and Indigenous communities and in solidarity with those communities across the continent. Since posting our statement, ECF has been working hard to ensure that our position on fighting to end anti-Black and Indigenous racism isn't merely lip service. On June 17th, our board of directors established ECF's Anti-Racism Fund. On this episode, we are going to look at the actions ECF is taking to do our part to make Edmonton an equitable community. You want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. On this episode, we're going to hear about four projects that are being supported through Edmonton Community Foundation's Anti-Racism Fund. And to help us do that, we're thrilled to be joined by my guest host, Neka Atabulu. Neka joined ECF in March and is our Director of Communications and Equity Strategy. Welcome to the show, Neka. Good to be here, Andrew. So maybe we can start off by learning a little bit about you. Uh, so who are you and what exactly do you do at the Community Foundation? Thank you, Andrew. I am the Director of Communications and Equity Strategy here at the Edmonton Community Foundation. My role is to drive in ECF's equity strategy and ensuring we stay true to our equity statement. ECF has a plan for a better and stronger Edmonton community. And that is what the equity statement is centered on. Absolutely. Uh, so how does the Anti-Racism Fund sort of fit into ECF's pursuit for a more equitable community? Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the fund and how it ties into that aspect. The current attention given to anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism has created an opportunity for the Edmonton Community Foundation to take additional action in support of anti-racism initiatives. The fund is to support work of Black-led and Indigenous-led or serving organizations in Edmonton. So once ECF set up the Anti-Racism Fund, uh, there were some challenges that arose in actually getting uh, the money out to the Black-led and serving uh, organizations out there that we wanted to support through this fund. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what some of those challenges were? We noticed that um, the most important challenge being faced by many Black and indigenous led and serving organization 
was the fact that they were not registered charities. So they don't have a CRA number or they are not registered donees. And it's quite an issue because it's just another barrier these organizations face in getting grants from ECF. Yeah, and just so our listeners understand sort of what the situation is here, is that, um, you know, legally when we are providing funding, it has to go to registered charities that have a CRA number. Uh, And that goes back to the piece of provincial legislation that sort of allows ECF to exist and do the work that it does. So it was kind of a unique challenge. Um, How have we been working to get around uh, or overcome that, that barrier so that these organizations can be supported to continue doing the work that they're doing on the front lines in the community? We encourage these organizations to partner with qualified donors to access funding. And we have plans in the work to help give support and assist them with their charitable status as well. In this way, Edmonton Community Foundation has played or is playing a lead role in the community as a convener, connecting people and agencies with one another. Yeah, and I also recall that you had some fairly difficult conversations with the organizations themselves uh, and also with community members as we worked to find partners to distribute this funding. Uh, What were some of the more difficult conversations you had when reaching out to organizations? Sure, Andrew. Their main concern was why ECF was doing this now and if we're going to be sustainable with our support. And our response to this is, if not now, then when? ECF understands that it's important to build and sustain a healthy community. We have always supported Black and Indigenous-led and serving organizations because as a community foundation, we acknowledge that the Edmonton area is a region with tremendous assets in its diverse people. Helping the community reach its full potential with its people would create a better future for everyone. Yeah, so the Community Foundation does have uh, a long history of supporting uh, Black and Indigenous-led and serving organizations, and this was sort of a time where we also saw an opportunity to to increase that support. Um, so this wasn't so much as uh, jumping on a bandwagon as recognizing that now is a time to increase and uh, sort of uh, advance the work that we'd already been doing um, in partnership with those communities. And I guess that brings us to the meat of this episode. As we look at the work uh, the Anti-Racism Fund is helping to make happen in Edmonton. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the fund has supported so far, Neka. The fund has supported a handful of projects and organizations. And on this episode, we're going to focus on four of them, which are the Edmonton Shift Lab, the Is This For Real podcast, Say It Loud Canada, and the Center for Race and Culture. Well, let's get into it then. All right, what else do we have? Oh my goodness, there is a sweet grass candle. Um, oh my gosh, sweet grasses. The most comforting smell for me. Um, When I was very little, my mom used to see an Indigenous healer, uh, which was kind of my first and only real um, opportunity to learn about uh, Indigenous tradition or practice um, in healing when I was a kid. In my family, the last people to practice any 
indigenous traditions were my great-great-grandparents who passed away when my grandpa was just a, a boy. So, so we didn't have these things in my family. Um, when my mom was sealing this indigenous healer, it was, it was also a very important time in my life. And sweetgrass, this smell always takes me back to that. Uh, back to being in the sweat lodge and learning some of these traditions. Oh my goodness, this candle is everything. So we've had the gifts, we have our, our soothing and healing candle, and then we have the work that we need to do. That was the sound of a producer, Lisa Pruden, who for clarity's sake is Métis, opening her Shift Lab White Fragility subscription box. Shift Lab came from a partnership between Edmonton Community Foundation and Skills Society Action Lab. Shift Lab is an action-oriented exploration of racism in our city. Its aim is to steward an exploration that can help provide us with insight and prototypes into how we can make change. The White Fragility subscription box is one of these prototypes. The project received funding through ECF's Anti-Racism Fund, to produce and distribute its first thousand boxes. Here's Sam Singh. So my full name is Samir Singh, and I am one of the founders and stewards of the Edmonton Shift Lab. To explain more. Well, the box was one of the prototypes that we developed in the second year of our activities. So it's one of four prototypes that our core team came up with after about six months of thinking and working and exploring this issue of trying to create a new platform to impact people and to get them to kind of think and reflect on themselves and then their actions and the communities they live in um, with something that's actually physical and tactile that arrives uh, in the mail uh, or gets delivered to them that you can actually touch and open and examine because I think one way to really reach out to people is to have them actually physically uh, have things in their hands that they can look at um, rather than just kind of reading or interacting through a screen for everything. The idea is that uh, you know people can send you links or they can send you websites uh, all day long, but I think that after a while it kind of becomes a blur and, uh, and it, the, the efficiency and the efficacy of that gets reduced. Compared to things that arrive in the mail, which, you know, is kind of old-fashioned um, in this day and age, but I think uh, still has a lot of resonance with people. Well, we don't want to give it away too much, but basically there are things in the box that re represent um, different cultures. So we have things that represent um, uh, indigenous culture, um, particularly Cree culture here in uh, Edmonton and Treaty 6 territory. It's got some informational resources. Um, it's got references to some really well-known works uh, by thought leaders on this issue that they can explore. It has a journal for reflecting so that people, um, once they receive prompts um, about their anti-racism journey, they can kind of write down their thoughts and, and over time kind of observe how uh, they themselves are thinking and reflecting on this issue. The first um, group of boxes has been sent out to uh, the first uh, thousand people who had signed up. All the feedback that uh, we've gotten so far has been quite positive, and uh, a lot of folks are kind of 
both surprised and, and delighted and interested in the content of the box. Um, and that's one of the things that we want to achieve. Um, but we also know that this journey can be kind of uncomfortable and unsettling for people, especially if they're being exposed to new information that they've never seen before. And so we realized that this box can kind of start them on a, a bit of an emotional um, journey, um, which may feel like a roller coaster at times. But that's kind of part of the plan around the whole idea of a subscription series. So it's not just one box that will um, that we hope will make a difference. It's rather a series of them, which we hope will take people on a journey um, into becoming more anti-racist in their daily lives and uh, and the communities and professions and jobs that uh, they are they are in. Many thanks to Lisa Pruden, Sam Singh, and Graham Lummer for bringing us that story. Shift Lab is currently working on another prototype called Exploring Wakotoin, which is a game being designed for elementary and junior high school students to learn more about the Indigenous experience of being here in Treaty 6 territory. They are hoping to have that rolling out sometime in the fall. In the meantime, you can check out all the other things Shift Lab is up to at edmontonshiftlab.ca. So what's next, NECA? Well, Andrew, as we began reaching out to the Edmonton Black community, we noticed a trend emerging for a need to support and foster Black storytellers, specifically to help support Black journalists. One of the key ways to fight against racism is to hear from those who are affected. Journalism is also an important pillar to any healthy community, which is why the Is This For Real podcast was a great feat for support from our anti-racism fund. Let's have a listen. You know, I grew up with a cop in my high school. Didn't really think it was weird because we were just used to it. And um, yeah, I wanted to find out more about the program. And I asked for basic data. Like I asked for how many arrests there are there are in schools, how many fines, uh, what type of investigations go on in schools. I also... Um, asked for a breakdown of like race, gender, and all that. And uh, the price I was quoted was 64 grand. If the Edmonton police were this compassionate force, they would just give me this information. But instead I was met with a blue wall every single time. That was a clip from the Is This For Real podcast. Is This For Real is an independent journalism project started by Omar Salafu, Bashir Mohammed, Avinish Nanda, and Nicholas Yee. Black people have been here for hundreds of years, but that's seldom acknowledged and incorporated into our understanding of this place's history and experience. Members of Edmonton's Black community are often not reflected in the institutions of this city or included in conversations around social and political issues. Is This For Real is a podcast about living as a Black person in Edmonton. Each season will center around a different facet of Black life here in the city. Their first season is titled Breaking the Blue Wall, and it explores policing issues in Edmonton. The team behind Is This For Real has big plans for the show, including expanding it beyond just a podcast. That's where funding from ECF's Anti-Racism Fund comes in. With support from ECF, Is This For Real is hiring an editor to begin commissioning pieces of journalism from Black creators in Edmonton. I caught up with Omar Salafu. Hi, my name is Omar Salafu, and I'm the host of Is This For Real. To talk about the show and the role it's playing in providing Black journalists with a platform to tell stories and why that's important. We did find someone for um, kind of a new position um, on our team, thanks to 
the funding that we got from ECF. So um, we're bringing on um, a staff editor, um, you know, right away here. And uh, she's already been, you know, hired and we're just in the process of, you know, figuring out uh, like a smooth transition. So um, that's going to be really exciting too. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that position and because uh, you have plans to sort of expand, it sounds, beyond uh, podcast to um, more types of uh, coverage and, and journalism uh, that you want to produce uh, through uh, the Is This For Real um, banner. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what your plans for the show are and how this um, editor is going to be working uh, towards those plans. So we definitely don't want to stop our content at just the podcast. I think we're all really excited for an opportunity to have a platform for, you know, black creators. So um, we're really reaching out to a few people and we hired obviously the staff editor who's really going to help us, um, you know, organize um, contributors and, um, you know, solicit new content so that um, things like, um, you know, regular website posts, um, you know, opinion articles, even feature articles, I think, will be something that we're working towards um, right away here. So, um, yeah, we don't want to stop short of podcasts. We want to expand a little bit and provide people a little bit more um, content. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you maybe speak to a little bit of the the value of uh, having a platform that is catering to providing Black creators with space to tell their stories. Uh, it seems like uh, in Edmonton in particular, uh, there isn't a lot of those spaces uh, that are providing sort of those opportunities. Um, so could you maybe speak a little bit uh, to that and the importance of that? Like you said, there aren't a lot of spaces that provide the opportunities that we're providing. And um, I would say like journalism in Canada and in Edmonton especially has seen a large decline over the past, you know, decade basically. And getting an opportunity to have your work published in a, in a meaningful way is, is almost impossible in a lot of senses. Um, and, you know, it's because a lot of publications have, you know, been bleeding money for a very long time and don't have the resources. Um, And I think journalism has also been a very unwelcoming place um, for black people for a really long time. And um, that makes it even harder for, you know, young people or, you know, new writers or um, just almost anyone to get their foot in the door and, you know, really be able to access platforms um, at larger mainstream uh, publications. So by giving people a different option um, and giving people a different opportunity um, than, you know, the mainstream or, you know, traditional publications. Um, I think we can really get more, you know, interesting content out there to people. And also, um, yeah, just like provide more diversity in terms of the voices that you're actually hearing um, in media. So I, I would say that's kind of um, the importance and, you know, why we're, we're doing what we're doing. And how important is actual like seeing representation in something like media and journalism to actually, you know, even just sparking interest in, you know, young emerging creators, uh, you know, saying like, oh, I could, I could do that. You know, if there's a, this is something I can do. I can see folks that have similar uh, shared experiences as me, uh, you know, on TV, on the radio, you know, 
podcast. Um, how important is that sort of to the equation of developing like a healthy, you know, quote unquote, like black media um, scene in Edmonton? Yeah, I think it really is exactly what you said. You know, it's about seeing yourself reflected and using that as something that, you know, can give you confidence, the confidence needed to actually pursue your dreams. You know, if you look on TV or you listen to the radio or you read an article and all you see is the same kind of people over and over again, and, you know, none of those people look like, um, you know, um, look like me. Um, And it's one of those things where it's hard enough to imagine yourself in a position where, you know, you're working at a big publication or, you know, you have an actual job in journalism. And that becomes even harder when nobody from your community has, you know, penetrated those spaces. So you can definitely say that, you know, it's almost impossible. It doesn't seem possible necessarily because you have to ask yourself, well, no one else has done this. So, you know, what makes me so special? So it's hard enough for anyone to imagine themselves in these positions. But when you don't have anyone from certain communities in your workspaces, it just makes it so much harder for, you know, black people or, you know, anyone else who's underrepresented to, you know, even dream or, you know, push themselves to um, enter those places. Because like I said, it can seem impossible if no one else has done it before, then why would you be the first to actually do it? Um, and there's, I think there's a reason why no one else has done it before. Um, it's because, like I said, these places aren't necessarily welcoming. And um, I don't think they have been for a very long time. Yeah, and I imagine, um, you know, tokenism as well, or sort of some of the positions that have been, you know, or opportunities that have been made available a lot of times is um, a little bit more on the token side than, you know, uh, leadership roles in news departments uh, as well. I'm not sure if you uh, have any thoughts on that, uh, or if I'm totally off base on that. Um, no. I think you're catching on to something. I think it definitely is a prevalent issue um, when people try to solve these problems. Um, they can do it in a very tokenistic way that you know ignores the fact that you know you're not hiring black people to increase diversity. Um, I think you're hiring black people because it's the right thing to do because you know it's going to make your workplace better. It's going to make your journalism better. Um, And, you know, you're going to give opportunity to people who, you know, have been denied it because of racism before. And if you only do it in a tokenistic way, you're just going to hire the person um, and you're not going to value them. And like you said, they're probably not going to be in a leadership position. So you're, you might not actually be helping them by hiring them. If you're just going to put them in a, you know, one year contract or, you know, entry level job that they'll never actually be able to, you know, rise up the ranks so like um i think that's like the change in mindset that people need to have it's like you're not doing this for you know diversity you're not doing this to you know help you know some community you're doing this to help yourself and it's going to help you a lot and you should have done this a long time ago um that's how people i think should look at it um it's beneficial for everyone and especially for the organization um Probably less for the individual. You know, that black person's probably going to have to deal with a lot of stuff at work. Um, it's not going to be easy. Um, so, so I think that shift needs to happen um, when, it, when it comes to, like, addressing these, these problems. 
Many thanks to Omar Salifu for joining us to chat about the Is This For Real podcast. You can find the podcast at isthisforreal.ca. And if you like the work being done, you can support them on Patreon. So, Neka, as we've heard, there are many barriers preventing Black voices from being heard in our community. Yes, I think that it's particularly difficult for Black youth to see themselves in certain professions because of lack of representation. And that also goes both ways with organizations not seeing Black people in certain roles because of harmful stereotypes. I think that's a pretty good segue to chat about the next project we're funding through UCF's Anti-Racism Fund. Absolutely. Say It Loud is a national initiative that promotes Black pride and positive cultural identity through STEM, entrepreneurship, social innovation, literary, culinary, visual performance, and fashion arts. The initiative showcases Black youth who, as artists, founders, and trailblazers, challenge anti-Black stereotypes and subsequently leave a positive impact on all communities across Canada. ECF is super thrilled to be sponsoring the local chapter of Say It Loud, and we sent our correspondent, Grandma Luma, to speak with Farley Flex. Okay, uh, so my name is Farley Flex. I'm the co-founder of Say It Loud, along with Roderick Brereton. To learn more. Hi, uh, what are the uh, some of the key projects that Say It Loud has going on at the moment? So the key project is the recruitment of young people to submit their ideas to say to the say loud uh, platform uh, that so that we have the opportunity to showcase those ideas. But also in support of that is the ability for us to support anybody who submits. It's not a competition. It, it's it's about a collection of of mass representation of how we can um, demonstrate um, the the brilliance and resilience that Black people have amassed um, since prior to slavery. And slavery was just a, a massive speed bump or roadblock in the potential of, of black youth. So we want to, so initiative-wise, the submission of content is number one. Um, the supports on the website, which include business plan writing, grant writing, public speaking training, image consultation. We have a wellness app called Get Ahead that um, uh, that a colleague of ours has developed that allows young people who, are, who have any measure of anxiety or depression or whatever it might be, because mental health is real and it's further stigmatized in black communities because we're fighting so hard to be resilient that sharing openly our, our potential weakness is counterintuitive to our existence, right? When you're, fo- when you're forced to, um, you know, if you're a boxer or some sort of athlete and you're, you're hired or paid to do a specific thing that involves, let's say, your hands as a boxer, you don't want to be saying, my big toe hurts. Right, because you're gonna look you're gonna look more vulnerable in that circumstance that you need to project. So socially, the same thing happens. A lot of black people keep their their traumas and their um, challenges in life um, suppressed because they want to be perceived as resilient, perceived as striving forward. You know, it's a tough it's a tough light plight really in in this hemisphere because arguably or not arguably, confidently speaking, you know, nobody of, of um, Caribbean or long-term in, um, Canadian heritage who is of African descent primarily, prim- primarily literally or literally, has, was brought here on a, you know, it wasn't a love boat vacation, 
right? It was it was by force. Um, and then you have some of our great, so quote unquote, quote unquote, great icons like J.S. Woodsworth, Johnny McDonald, uh, Dundas, Ryerson, etc., who were all slave owners and believed that black people were subhuman. And now our children learn about them in in the same classroom with white kids, and not realizing that these people technically you know, have not shown or any, any respect for who we are as human beings. And that's never been disrupted by the incumbent society. So there, there probably will still be schools named after Johnny McDonald going forward. Hopefully not on my watch, but, you know, we have to be, um, I think, realistic in understanding that that's highly feasible. And, um, you know, we got we to gotta do better. Uh, so these uh, projects that are, can be submitted, they're, there's no limit on them. They can be anything from um, an academic project or an entrepreneurial project or even an athletic project. Is that right? Um, well, the categories I listed, um, you know, what we recognize is that athletics is an interesting um, area when it comes to the performance side of things because, we, you know, we already it's a bar- it's a it's a barrier that doesn't has not existed for us for a long time like people understand the economic benefit of black people in the sports industry but what we need to do is show young people the diverse amount of opportunities within that industry so that they can think about being GMs and 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 trainers and kinesiologists and and agents and marketers not just be on the court on the stage or on the street corner Right, and and this is the narrative that's propagated by the media, and and you know there's a self-fulfilling prophecy component there where if you see yourself in a particular light in, in consistently, you will start to believe that that light is for you, and um, you know the Masai Ujeris, the Farley Flexes, the Roderick Brereton's who have gone beyond the stereotypical narrative to do to do um, other things even in those spaces. I'm. I'm very much involved in the sports industry. I'm very much involved in the entertainment industry, but I do it from a business acumen lens. I do it as an entrepreneur. Um, I've been involved in launching, you know, the first black radio stations, the first black TV stations, et cetera, um, as opposed to being just on the camera as in, on Canadian Idol. That, that definitely contributed to it, but if I didn't have a business mind, right, attached to that, I would, I would still be seeking out opportunities to be on camera. Right, but um, yeah. I understand the importance of infrastructure and our involvement in infrastructure from a storytelling standpoint. You know, to to draw a reference, the Jewish community has really perfected um, the control of the narrative from their perspective to, I think, a very great high percentile. You know, in terms of their involvement behind the scenes as well as in front of the scenes. Right, um, especially as it relates to entertainment and some of the industries that they're associated with um, most overtly, even from a stereotypical standpoint. You know, you watch a Hollywood film, and if you pay close attention, there's a disproportionately high number of people of Jewish descent involved in in, in um, both sports and entertainment. Like, you look at NBA team ownership, NFL team ownership, things like that, you'll see that a, a population of people who are not large in number but it's very large in their presence and, and their involvement in specific industries, publishing. Anything that's widely distributed has a very strong contingent of people of Jewish descent, and I think that's a fantastic model to be adopted 
by the and, and adapted to by by the black community in terms of there is a Jerry Seinfeld, but he owns the show. Right? There is there is a Larry um David, but he owns the show. There is a Warner Brothers, but who's the CEO? Who who owns it? Right? And there are football teams like with you know, people of cultures that generally don't even play the sports for the most part. And it's owned by certain groups. Um and we're the ones, if you look at the biggest contributors to to the billions and billions, probably trillions of dollars from an entertainment and sports standpoint in North America, we're by far the biggest contributors at the, at the, at the ground level, at the playing field level, at the basketball court level. Well, where are we in the upper echelons of the boardroom, right? Where is that brilliance? Which does exist, by the way, but we're relegated to certain roles and celebrated in certain roles that don't identify all the things that we've contributed to this world as a people. Things like chemistry, architecture, all those things started in Africa. The concept of time, all those things started in Africa. But, but the average kid who's black or not black doesn't even know that. So who's going to tell them? Only somebody who's willing to say it loud. Many thanks to Faliflex for filling us in on Say It Loud Canada and to our correspondent Graham Loomer for bringing us that interview. Applications are now open for Black youth to submit their ideas to Say It Loud Edmonton. The deadline to submit is November 15, 2020. Okay, we have one more project to chat about today. Oh yes, and I'm very excited about this one. Yeah, another major tool in addressing anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism is education. Sure. In June, we approached the Center for Race and Culture to see what initiatives they had going on that would be a good fit to support through ECF's Anti-Racism Fund. CFRAC has been working to promote systemic change to address racism and discrimination for more than 20 years. Their expertise spans workplace development, community building, research, and education. And starting this month, they are kicking off a series of webinars and roundtables with some with support from ECF. Here's our correspondent Graham Luma again. This time he's talking to Rose Eva. My name is Rose Eva Forks Jenkins. My pronouns are she and her, and I work at the Center for Race and Culture. To help us learn more about CFRAC's roundtable series. Can you tell me a little bit about the roundtable series that CFRAC is producing? Yeah, so the series came about um, after, uh, as we know, uh, in May, on uh, May 25th, uh, George Floyd uh, passed away. And there was uh, the uprising in the Black Lives Matter movement and all of this um, amazing community organizing that was happening. And it was really an amazing cultural shift in people talking about racism in a very open way. And a lot of people uh, saying, you know, what can we do? How can we um, help? And so we received a lot of donations from folks to our organization, which we're very grateful for. Lots of individuals, lots of businesses. And so we kind of thought, well, what can we add uh, to this conversation? What, what can we do um, within our organization to really um, take this moment where folks are really talking about 
uh, racism and what they can do in terms of anti-racism and how can we really um, continue on this conversation. So that's where our idea came from to um, have conversations. So that led to us creating uh, our initiative, which is called Challenging Discrimination Through Community Conversations. And so um, this is a chance for um, different members of the community to talk about the different discrimination that they face and how um, really we can shine uh, the spotlight on different forms of discrimination and how we can extend that into allyship and um, yeah, just have conversations with uh, members of our community that are working within that um, that sphere. Yeah. Um, okay, so at the end of the day, who are these roundtables really intended for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we really wanted to make sure this was as accessible for everyone as possible. We, you know, like we said, the um, demands from the community was to um, really learn about this. Folks who, for example, you know, we're just hearing about systemic racism and wasn't, aren't sure what that means or what that looks like. And so we really wanted to be as accessible as possible for folks who, um, you know, maybe this is new for them. We really wanted to be able to um, explain those concepts and have that be uh, really so that anyone who's interested can understand. We don't want it to get kind of too in that, you know, academic jargon and get kind of too complicated, but mm-hmm. really... Um, have it be for everyone to to understand while still talking about these very real issues and um what's been really amazing i think our speakers have done a great job of you know breaking uh breaking these down in a way that uh most folks can understand but then also making it relatable by for example telling some ex- their own experiences or why um you know how this has impacted them in their lives Okay, yeah, I'm sure those personal stories are very uh, powerful and relatable for many people. So I'm glad that to hear that that's being included. Coming up, uh, what's next in the in this roundtable series? Yeah, so our next session is on August 18th. Uh, that'll happen from 1:30 to 2:30 p.m. and it's about uh, the media and racism. And so uh, folks can sign up for that on our website. It's free. Uh, it's for everyone. And if you're not able to make it on that date, you can also, um, we'll be uploading the recording later. So we're very excited um, to have Gravinder Bhatia, who will be moderating the session. And then we also have Anita Lee, who's the co-founder of Canadian Journalists of Color. We have Omar Salafu, who is a previous editor-in-chief of The Gateway. And then we have Kalyana Therajirada, um, Associate Professor of Sociology at Grant McEwen University. What are you hoping folks are going to be taking away from these discussions? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think what we really want folks is to, you know, use this as a jumping off point of saying, you know, this is a great one-hour discussion, but as we always say, anti-racism isn't, you know, it's not an end point. It's not, okay, I learned it, I watched an hour discussion, and now I'm done, I have all the information, I'm good to go. Um, What we really want is for folks to, you know, um, have these discussions be an introductory point that they can then continue their own learning. And so a lot of speakers have been, for example, like recommending readings or, um, you know, uh, giving giving space for folks to really use this as a place to then um, look more and delve further into these concepts. And I think what's great is uh, because these are folks from Edmonton, we can really come to it from a really relatable point of view of, okay, what does this look like in Edmonton? But then from there, expand it out to, well, what does this look like in other places? And, you know, there's so much to learn. So we really want to give folks 
a small um, idea for them to understand and from there to continue their learning. Many thanks to Rosiva Forge-Jenkins for filling us in on CFRAC's Anti-Racism Roundtable series, and to our correspondent, Graham Lummer, for bringing us that interview. CFRAC's next roundtable takes place on August 18th, and you can find more information at cfrac.com. That's C-F-R-A-C.com. We covered a lot of ground today, but before we close, I have one more question for you, Neka. What do you love about this work, about working toward equity? I love the work I do, because I get to see firsthand the impact of the good work ECF is doing in the Edmonton community. This gives hope for a better future for our community and its people. I also find learning about other cultures through shared stories exciting as well. Edmonton is indeed a city of diversity. Well, thank you so much for hosting with me today, Neka. Anytime, Andrew. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, be sure to share with your friends and family. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us. And you can visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures as well. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Neka Otobolu. Until Until next next time. time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation. And edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at wellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at The ECF. Our theme music was created by Octavo Productions. Check them out at octavoproductions.com. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.